few years ago, I was winding on the back roads through Kentucky. Don't tell anyone, but it was a Sunday morning and I was skipping church. Don't tell anybody, okay? I was on my way to my friend Daryl's house for breakfast. I figured breakfast at somebody's house in Kentucky had to be pretty special. And so as I'm following my GPS, as it, lead, as it led me down the roads, I, I rounded these beautiful, beautiful curving roads. I rounded one corner, and there in front of me was a church. Beautiful little country church. And out in front of that church was a sign that told what denomination it was. That's really not important. That doesn't apply to the story. It, the sign told what the service times were, and that's great. But at the bottom of the sign, that's what got my attention because at the bottom of the sign was kind of their tagline, their little motto, the way that they wanted their church to be known. And there at the bottom of the sign, in in italic letters with quotation marks around it, it said, a friendly church. I thought that was great. A friendly church. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I have to imagine that there was another church in town also. And I'm guessing that church did not have a sign out front that said, the unfriendly church. But, and again, I'm, I'm just speculating here, but knowing what I know of human nature and knowing what I know of, of churches, I, my suspicion is there's a story behind a sign like that. My suspicion is that one time there was one church, and at a certain point in that history of that one church, some people decided they had had enough of some other people. And so they left and they struck out and they started their own church. Now, what I don't know is who left. Was it the friendlies or was it the unfriendlies who left? And I also cannot be sure of the, of the validity, the accuracy of that sign. We've officially rolled past the halfway mark as we've traveled through Paul's letter to his friends in Ephesus. And the halfway point is important in Paul's letters. You see, in the first half of Paul's letters, he always tells us what we're supposed to know, what we're supposed to think about who we are in Christ. And that's exactly what he's done in in Ephesians. The first half of the letter, he has laid out his theology. He's given us all the information about who we are. In chapter 1, you remember, he showed us who we are in Christ, that we have been chosen, that we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven, that we have, we have been adopted as God's children. That's who we are in Christ. We have been lavished with the riches of His grace. And then in chapter 2, he told us who we are as a church, that as a church, we are one in Christ. We have been reconciled to God and we have been reconciled to each other and that Christ Jesus Himself is our peace and that we are being built together into a holy temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. And then in chapter 3, we had that powerful prayer. We spent a month looking at that powerful prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And now Paul moves on from who we are, from what we should know, to how we should live. What difference... Does who we are as individuals and who we are as a church, what difference does our new life make in how we live, how we love, how we treat each other? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today, verses 1 through 6. Those blue Bibles in front of you, just as it has been for the last several weeks, it's page 977. Now before we read, I want to tell you that nowhere in this passage does Paul say that if you have a church that you need a sign out front that says, the friendly church. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we need a sign out front that says the friendly church. 
Instead, what we see in these verses is that because of who Christ is, because of what He has done for you, you and I need to make peace a priority. We need to make loving one another a priority. In fact, peace has to be our priority. And if it is, we won't need a sign. We won't need a sign to tell people how friendly we are. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Peace has to be a priority for each one of us. But as Paul explains peace here, one of the things that we've got to catch first of all is that peace is a journey. Peace is a journey that we're on and we're not there yet. Well, we are, but we, but we aren't. It, take a look again at verse 3. Verse 3 becomes kind of the, the crux of this whole passage. Paul says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You can't maintain something unless you have it already, right? When you go to buy the new refrigerator, what do they want to sell you? A maintenance agreement. You don't go in to buy a maintenance agreement but they want to sell it to you after you've bought the new refrigerator. You don't walk in and say, I already have a maintenance agreement. Now I need a refrigerator. That does, that's not how it works. Instead, Paul says that we are to be eager to maintain the peace that we already know. The peace that we know is a gift through Jesus. A gift given to us by His own blood. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 14, it says right there that of Jesus, it says of Jesus, he Himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. The peace we have with God. The peace we have with each other. So this peace is a gift. A precious gift. But it's, it's a gift that needs maintenance. It's a gift that can easily be wrecked. And so as God has given us the gift, we are called to maintain the gift. We are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word we translate eager here if you remember the NIV, some of you use the NIV Bible. It says, it says there, make every effort. I like that translation too. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It, it's an interesting word because every other time Paul uses that word eager, every other time he uses it, it's about going on a trip somewhere. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, he says to his friends in Thessalonica, I am eager to see you face to face. So it's a place that Paul wants to be. I am eager to see you. In Titus chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says to his friend Titus, do your best. Be eager to come see me. You see, Paul, Paul is close to death at that time. He's an older man by the time he writes to Titus. and He knows he doesn't have much time left. And then when he writes 2 Timothy, maybe just a few months before he dies, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he uses that word twice. He says to Timothy, do your best to come to me. Do your best to come to me before winter. I, I can't go on without you. And, and you hear the desperation 
every time Paul uses that word. He's desperate to see his friends. And here, he's desperate to see us at peace. We can't go on without peace. And so he calls us on a journey of peace. He calls us to maintain the peace we have through Jesus. Again, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy. We've heard talk of, we've heard talk of walk before in Ephesians. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we used to walk in the wrong direction. We used to be going the wrong way. But God has called us to a a new direction. He's called us to follow Jesus. And so if we're following Jesus, we can't walk where we used to walk. We can't go to the places we used to allow ourselves to go. And, And we have to stop and realize there are things that we may have within ourselves that we can't have on this trip. And some of those might be attitudes that we have. Some of those might be some feelings we have about other people. Those attitudes do not belong on this trip. They will not get us where we need to go. There are places we used to allow ourselves to go. Maybe those places are physical. Maybe those places are mental. Maybe they're emotional. But there are places we used to allow ourselves to go that we can't go there now if we're going on this trip, on this walk to peace. Peace is a journey. And we're not there yet. Did you notice the reason Paul gives this appeal? He says, as a prisoner for the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord Jesus. Paul is literally in prison. Paul is is not going anywhere. He is in prison when he writes this. Alone for much of the time. But I think about his appeal as a prisoner. And I think about those around us who might be in prisons. Prisons that we, we can't see. Prisons that that don't have bars, but prisons that, where they are just as much locked up. Prisons where there is no peace. No peace in their relationships. No peace in their, in their mindset. No peace due to depression or, or maybe even rage. They have literally locked themselves in. And if they're going to find peace, they're going to need someone to walk to that peace with them. They're going to need to find that peace with us. And so each of us really need to stop and ask ourselves, And I want to ask you today about this journey that we're taking with Jesus, this journey to peace. What steps are you taking towards peace today? What steps are are you taking towards peace today? I think about when I saw that sign that said the friendly church. And I realized that church, that that sign, the friendly church, that sign was not for the people that went to that church. They, They knew what they were, whether they were really friendly or not. That that sign wasn't for them. They didn't need that sign. That that sign was for their neighbors. That sign was for the people down the road who, who had heard about what was happening at that church. That sign was for the people who heard at the coffee shop. Did you hear what happened at church this weekend? Yeah, they're at it again. That's, that's the people that needed that sign. So they, they put up a sign, but Paul doesn't call us to put up a sign. Instead, he tells us to take steps toward peace. Again, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says there in verses verses 1 and 2, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Some of that should sound familiar. We spent a, a year looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and some of that ought to sound familiar. Gentleness, patience, love. Yeah, that, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And each one of these is a step we're called to take every day. A step towards peace. Humility is that virtue that, that puts other people before you. Have we taken that step today? And you realize humility is not just about how you get along with other people. Humility is about how you get along with God. Peter says in, in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's no promise of God's blessing, there's no promise of His favor or His presence without humility. How about gentleness? How about patience? Have we taken those steps today? The reality is gentleness and, and patience, those are the meat on the bones of humility. Gentleness and patience, they, they flesh humility out. That's, how, that's what we see when, when people see our, our treatment of others. They, they want to see, we want them to see gentleness. We want them to see patience. Now my, my guess is your favorite part of this verse is going to be the last part where he says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. Literally, it means putting up with one another. You ever you have people that you just, you just kind of put up with? But he says, putting up with one another in love. Realizing that there's always going to be people in our lives who present challenges. There's always going to be people who present challenges. And we need to make sure that our commitment to peace is greater than our frustration with them. Bearing with one another in love. Putting up with one another in love. Same words used of Jesus. In fact, Jesus uses the exact same word. In Matthew chapter, chapter uh, 17, Jesus is coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration and He gets to the bottom of the mountain and He finds His disciples waiting there. And do you remember what they were doing? Well, over here, there's a man who has brought his son to the disciples. And his son is possessed by a demon. This demon is causing him to go into convulsions and he's frothing at the mouth. He's trying to kill himself constantly because of this demon. And his disciples are there, but they're over here on this side arguing with the Pharisees about whose religion is right. And in Matthew 17, 17, Jesus says to his disciples, how long must I put up with you? If Jesus said that to them, my guess is He'd say it to us too. We're, we're no better than them. If Jesus would say to those disciples, how long am I supposed to put up with you? Uh, he would say that to us also. And consider that he, he left the holiness and perfection of heaven so He could put up with us. And so when we consider that Jesus did that for us, can, can we treat each other with just a little more kindness? Could we treat each other with a little more humility, a little more love, and, and could we stop and consider that since He's willing to put up with us, that means we're not on this walk alone? We're not making this walk by ourselves? No, Jesus is accompanying us. Jesus accompanies us on our journey to peace. And when we realize that, we realize it's not just about getting along with each other, it's, it's about traveling with 
Jesus. It's about going to the same place that Jesus is going. Again, if we went back to chapter 2, verse 14, He Himself is our peace. Jesus Himself is our peace. So if we are making peace a priority, then we are making Jesus a priority. Right? He becomes our priority. Now the other side of that is this. When we don't make peace a priority, when we don't react in humility and gentleness and patience, when we fail to bear with one another, to put up with one another in love, we're not walking with Jesus. We've decided to walk away. We're not going in the same direction He's going. We've rejected His presence. Again, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is the goal. That is the ideal. That's what we want to see happen here. Go back to the NIV. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I think reading it that way communicates the plan, but it also communicates the problem. Make every effort. You see, we can only make every effort if everyone is making the effort towards peace. And the sad reality is not everybody does. Not everybody wants that. Not everybody you encounter wants a journey of peace. Peace is not a priority for everyone. That's why Paul can start out this, this chapter in verse 3 saying, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's why he can start out that way. But by the time we get to the end of the chapter, what do we read in verses 26 and 27? Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What do we read in verse 29? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Can we be honest just for a minute? There's not a single one of us who haven't been wounded by the things that Paul's listed there at the end of this chapter. It's not a single one of us at one point or another in our lives who, who haven't been wounded by the things that Paul's listed in those verses. And some of us have been wounded here. Some of us have been wounded in the church. And we were wounded because somebody didn't make peace a priority. And maybe that person who wounded us, maybe they had some clout and they got away with it. Maybe they had some position. Maybe they, maybe they gave a little more money than you do. Or maybe they'd just been around longer. Maybe they'd been around long enough that other people said, well, that's just the way Aunt Maud is. By the way, there is no real Aunt Maud. I, I made her up. Ah, you, you'll get used to it after a while. That's just the way she is. She, she does that to everyone. If that ever happened to you, if, if you were ever a victim of that, that was wrong. You see, peace, 
Peace isn't just something we walk in together. Peace is something we have to defend for each other. Peace is something we have to become for each other. We don't dare let anyone steal the peace of Christ. It has to be guarded. Every day, every one of us must make peace a priority, maintaining the peace that we have with Jesus. Why must we make this a priority? Verses 4-6, through six, because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, just as, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. If you count them up, there are seven ones in those verses. Seven ones in those verses. And anytime you see the number seven in the Bible, it is a number of completion. It is a number that shows completion. And what we have in these verses is complete unity. Seven ones that cannot be divided. Seven ones that cannot be ripped apart. We cannot divide the body. We cannot divide the church because we cannot divide the Holy Spirit. And that should tell you just how tragic it is when relationships in the church become ripped apart. Are you trying to divide the Holy Spirit? How would you even do that? How can you divide the Holy Spirit of God? You get them every other weekend, and I get them three weekends out of the, a week, three weeks out of the summer. It doesn't work that way. We can't divide the Holy Spirit. And then verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Please don't hear that one baptism as, well, that's why we immerse. There's only one baptism. You know, that's why we do baptism the way we do it. We don't sprinkle, we don't pour, we don't do all those other things. We do it the one. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul says there's one baptism. There isn't a super secret special baptist, baptism just for you, you know, or just for me. Well, yeah, you got baptized like everybody else, but I got baptized the special way. There's just nothing like that. Just because, just like there's only one Lord, there is only one faith, there is only one shared experience for us. Why? Because there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is one relationship with our sovereign, one relationship with our King, one source of peace for all of us. I think back to everything that, that Paul showed us about who we are in chapter 1, that we are chosen, we are redeemed, we are adopted as God's children, we are saved by the blood of Jesus. And then I think about what he said in chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, I can't believe that's true for me unless I also believe that's true for you. I can't believe that's true about me unless I also believe that's true about you. And if I believe that it's true about us, then I don't dare treat you with anything less than peace. Peace has to be our priority. There should, there should never be a day. There should never be a day when a church needs to put a sign out front that says, we're the friendly church. That should never have to happen. Because there should never be a day when peace is not a priority in the church. There should never be a day when relationships cannot be defined by humility, gentleness, and patience. There should never be a day when we stop putting up with each other in love. And the reality is, 
Everyone you know, everybody you know, they have enough conflict in their life. Everyone you know has enough conflict out there. The most peaceful relationships that, that, that people have ought to be found in the church. The most peaceful relationships uh, we have ought to be the relationships we have in the church. It ought to be the most peaceful place that we have. And there's likely someone in your life right now who needs peace. They need to know that they can be loved. They can be treated with kindness. They need to know they can walk there with us as we walk with Jesus. Let's stand together and pray. Father, our lives were chaos. We had no peace. We had no peace with you. We had no peace with anyone else. And then Jesus himself became our peace. He gave of himself so that we could each know peace with you and with one another. And Lord, if, if to not seek peace is to not seek Jesus. To not defend peace is to trample on the cross. To treat others with anything less than love is to disregard the gift of your grace and what it cost you. So Father, teach us humility. Teach us gentleness. And yes, even teach us patience with each other. And if anyone is hurting, let us bear with them. We pray this for ourselves. We pray it for even those for whom peace is not a priority. We pray that you call them not just to peace. Call them to your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And go in peace.